It's time for your weekly update on all things tax from Blick Rothenberg. The Tax Factor with Heather Sell and Nimesh Shah. Welcome to The Tax Factor, the new podcast series from Blick Rothenberg. Each week, members of our tax team look at news and updates in the world of tax and provide an analysis of what it might mean for you or your business. We'll also take a look at some of the longer term tax issues and topics. And at the moment, it feels as if we're heading into a pre-election period. Nimesh, welcome back to The Tax Factor. It's been a few weeks since we spoke on that first episode. I noticed at the weekend, Rachel Reeves, the Shadow Chancellor, was all over the weekend papers talking about what Labour would do if they win the next election. What did you think of what she said? Hi, Heather. Great to be back on The Tax Factor with you this week. Yes, some surprising announcements from Rachel Reeves over the weekend and trailed in pretty much every single broadsheet newspaper that Labour, should they be elected into government, are saying that they won't introduce a wealth tax. And interestingly as well, tagged along to that is that there'll be no increases to income taxes or capital gains taxes as well. We might remember that Keir Starmer said last year that he would reintroduce the 50% rate of income tax should Labour be elected into government. And there's been conflicting views from various factions of the Labour Party, that they might increase uh, capital gains tax as well, something that has really worried a large proportion of the uh, entrepreneurial community in the UK as well, that that 20% rate of CGT at worst could be aligned to income tax rates at 45%, or if Keir Starmer had his way, would be up to 50% as well. So interesting and surprising comments from Rachel Reeves. And as you said, we're getting into that season now of the party conferences and people now trailing their policies in advance of manifestos coming out next year. I think the difficulty is we saw at the last election or the last but one, both major parties saying that they wouldn't raise the main rates of tax, income tax, VAT and national insurance. If they tie themselves into such a tight corner, they're then going to find it very difficult to implement things like the new NHS plan, which requires a lot more spending on the NHS, unless they can somehow magically generate all the economic growth that we'd like to see. It's a strange suggestion, I suppose, from the Labour Party, especially around some of the the wealth taxes here or taxes on the higher earners. They're they're putting their flag in the ground and saying they're not going to increase those. And uh, I suppose that's a a move away from what a traditional Labour policy would be. But we saw it in the last election, as you say, Heather, the triple lock that the Conservatives locked themselves into, that they wouldn't increase those big three taxes, income tax, national insurance and VAT. Actually, they ended up breaking that because they introduced something called the health and social care levy. If you remember that, the 1.25% additional amount on national insurance, which had only a shelf life of about six months, But the amount of taxes that are raised from those big three taxes, that accounts for 75% of all tax take in the UK. What has been an interesting tactic, though, from this government is this so-called stealth tax move, where they've frozen all the allowances for quite a long period of time now until 2028. And in some cases, that's going to be worth an extra 4% on the basic rate of income tax. It has that same effect that it would do had basic rate income tax gone up. And I wonder if the next government, whether it's Labour or the Conservatives still continue, that that policy of freezing the allowances will be a way to generate more additional tax revenue rather than having this pulling the trigger and having um, the slap in the face to the population that VAT, say, may go up by 2 to 5%. 
I think you're right. Freezing the allowances is actually, even though I think it's horrible tax policy, it's a very effective tax policy because it brings in lots of money and people don't really notice it. If you're getting a pay rise of £1,000 and suddenly you're paying tax at 40% rather than 25%, you're still better off overall. And so you don't notice the fact that your tax bill is creeping up. But there is a limit as to how long you can do that. What really frustrates me is that none of the major parties are taking anything like a strategic approach to tax. They're all just telling us the things they won't do. And they're not actually looking at the mess that is in parts of the tax system and how we could actually make it better. I don't know if you saw there was a report from the Institute for Fiscal Studies, the IFS, last week, where they, sounding increasingly frustrated, set out a number of ways in which the current tax system is just ridiculous. And the one they started with, I think, if you look at the graph of how much income tax you pay at different levels of income, there's a couple of really big spikes in it. The first is if you lose your child benefit at between 50 and 60,000. And the second is if you lose your personal allowance between 100 and about 125,000. So actually, somebody on about 110,000 is paying a far higher rate of tax than somebody on 400,000 proportionally. The personal tax system is one of my pet hates. It's got these distortions and spikes at various levels, which are completely counterintuitive and illogical to the man on the street. And you have these strange, high effective rates of tax at those levels. As you said, the 100,000 when you take, when your personal allowance gets tapered away, the cliff edge when you start losing your tax-free childcare at 100,000 as well. That creates behavioral issues as well. I mean, the thought of getting a pay rise uh, and then being pushed into an incredibly high effective rate of tax. 60% if you're earning over £100,000. That takes away a lot of the gloss. And make that 69% if you're paying back student loans as well. That's quite quite right. And I know that that's been talked about uh, as well in the press as well, that uh, those suffering student loan repayments, even at the basic rate, are paying a higher effective rate of tax than someone who's earning close to £100,000. So lots and lots of distortions in the tax system that has been built up. I'd say mainly over the last 15 years, uh, it was a much simpler system when I did my exams over 20 years ago. Again, I'm showing my age. It's really difficult to navigate that system. And I think the IFA are really definitely onto something as well. They do talk about in their report that taxes do need to go up at a time when the the tax burden in the UK is the highest it's been in in peacetime. Uh, that's the headline that's got all the journalists talking about. But comparatively in the UK, 37% of GDP, that's actually somewhere in the middle when you compare it to other European countries. If you're fortunate enough to live in the Nordic countries in Scandinavia, uh, Denmark has a tax burden of 45%. But some may argue that the standard of living in those countries is a lot higher than what it is in the UK. The IFS say has this 10 key areas of focus for reform. I just wonder whether we've got a, a real reforming chancellor currently or the next future chancellor, maybe Rachel Reeves, will have the courage to actually do something quite radical because it isn't is very much needed. It is difficult to do anything radical. If we take VAT as an example, um, the IFS have highlighted some of the, the silly bits of VAT, Jaffa cakes, Pringles, gingerbread people. There's all sorts of silly things which are zero rated. And then you've got a lot of money being spent on zero rating and creating a lot of what the, the revenue calls boundary issues. A lot of arguments from retailers as to whether particular products are zero rated or not. Obviously, a lot in the financial services sector trying to ensure that they can get as much VAT recovery, given that a lot of what they do is make exempt supplies. If you take just one example, though, children's clothing, 
That's been zero rated ever since VAT was introduced. Any chancellor who suggested removing that would get absolutely murdered by the media. Just think of George Osborne and the pasty tax multiplied by a factor of about a thousand. And yet that delivers a subsidy to wealthy people buying expensive children's clothes and does very little to help people who are really struggling to provide school uniforms for their kids. Much better, actually, to abolish the zero rating, make the system simpler and use some of the money that raises to support the people who really need it. Yeah, that, that's right. And some estimates out there from the IFS and other think tanks that zero rating and exemptions cost the Treasury around $100 billion a year. It's a staggering amount of money when we talk about uh, a 1% increase on the basic rate would raise somewhere between 5 and $8 billion, uh, $100 billion on these very esoteric VAT rules. And whilst they give us long, um, long stories of amusement over the years on Jaffa Cakes and gingerbread men, as you say, uh, gingerbread men in particular, as long as the chocolate decoration is no more than a couple of dots for an eye and add a, add a smile and you're into 20% VAT. Uh, for anyone outside our profession, Heather, that is absolutely nonsensical. So not only is it the cost of the treasury, but the cost of compliance as well to retailers and the confusion that it causes to the public. I think the other thing which is absolutely nonsense is all the campaigns which are springing up to get zero rating on special cases. So we had the tampon tax a couple of years ago. What happens when you get these special cases and something does get zero rated? it doesn't necessarily get passed on to the consumer. I've got a subscription to one of the main newspapers. I read it online as well as on paper. Online newspapers used to have 20% VAT. It then went to zero. Did I see a reduction in my subscription? No, of course not. The latest one, I think, is on um, period underwear. Yes, of course, it would be a good thing for that not to be as expensive as it is. But you don't need to take the VAT off to do that. Just let's have the shops cut the price if that's what they want to do for the benefit of the consumer. Which is what they've done. So Tesco have said that they will cover the VAT on its range of products as it pushes the government to try and uh, scrap the VAT that currently applies. And then clearly other retailers then followed suit. Marks and Spencer and John Lewis more recently uh, have said that they do the same. You could go on and on and on and have a great long list. And all it does is make the tax system more complicated. Much better. Let's have the VAT on everything and make the system simpler. Use the extra money in a more targeted way. Nobody's ever going to make me chancellor anyway. And finally, Nimesh, I think you spotted an interesting tax case, perhaps not a happy story at all for the taxpayer involved. Yeah, that's right. An interesting tax case, a catalogue of errors by an accountant uh, was under the spotlight in a tax tribunal case, uh, which resulted in penalties for the taxpayer that originally were 11,000, but were brought down to four. Some of the errors here included in relation to the sale, applying the wrong rate of CGT. It should have been 18%, but the accountant applied 10% and claiming a deduction for mortgage redemption payment and a personal guarantee payment incurred a year after after the property was sold. But to top it all off, again, wasn't reported on the tax return itself in the first place as well. The only saving grace for the taxpayer here was that the original penalties were brought down from 11,000 to a meagre 4,000 pounds just shows that always take advice from an accountant and make sure that you, you understand the advice you've been given. After all, at the end of the day, the taxpayer is the one who signs off to say that they're happy with the tax return. So my thanks to Nimesh for joining me on this week's Tax Factor. He'll be back again with me next week as we review the latest news in the world of tax. I'd also like to thank everyone for the positive response we've received so far to the series. It's great to hear we've become a regular listen for so many people. The Tax Factor is available every Friday on all the major podcast platforms, so please do subscribe and join us again next time. I'm Heather Self. Goodbye. That's all for this episode of The Tax Factor. Find all our previous episodes wherever you get your podcast. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, why not try Brave Business, our podcast series for entrepreneurs. Find it wherever you get the tax factor or on the Blake Rothenberg website. The Tax Factor.